Turning the lens of the radio camera on the vast panorama of downtowns across Ontario. Zooming in to capture the living memories of main streets before they are lost forever. Traveling across the province in our storymobile for your tales of... Butchers and bakers and candlestick makers and buildings and heroes and side roads and weirdos and bars and stars and roads and cars and shops and cops and people who rock. Because what we have found is everyone around has one or two telling tales of the town. Come join us as we take a walk, walk down Main Street. Welcome to Prince Edward County. I'm Allison. I'm Krista. And I'm Katie. And we're here to guide you on a walk down Main Street. In your mind's eye, walk yourself up and down Main Street in Wellington. Or maybe you grew up in Bloomfield. What's that you say? You were born and raised in Picton? What did your Main Street look like? What does it look like now? Join us in your imagination as we travel along the Loyalist Parkway through three distinct and unique downtowns. Perk up your ears, tune in, and enjoy the ride along the main main street, Highway 33. I've lived in Picton all my life. And I have lived in Wellington all my life. And I grew up in the village of Bloomfield. 71 years. I was born in Picton as my parents and grandparents before me. I grew up on a farm uh, just west of Bloomfield on uh, Gilead Road. I've been in the county for 27 years now. I was born March the 11th, 1950, here in Picton, Ontario. Back then it was the old hospital down overlooking the bay. I was born in Picton in 1929 at the old hospital on uh, Hill Street. I've uh, lived in Prince Edward County my entire life. I was born and brought up here. I decided that from now on when people ask me how long I've been here, I'm going to tell them 229 years. <laughs> Well, because 229 years ago is when my ancestors first landed here. So I've been here a while. On Saturday afternoons, my mom would go upstreet. Here, it's not called downtown. It's called upstreet. Or was it downstreet? Upstreet, as we used to call it. So I wrote the song around uh, downtown. Upstreet, stare at the flashing lights. When your mother wanted to know where you were going, you were going upstreet. At five years old, you can walk upstreet. So if you're going shopping, you're going downtown, you're going upstreet. Which meant up to the center of the village. You know, you'd go downstreet, you knew everybody. Downstreet, if you're coming from before the town hill, it's downstreet. If you're coming from up the town hill, it's upstreet. Very specific. The difference between upstreet and downstreet is what in Wellington dividing line is at the churches because that they're at the top of a hill. I don't know whether you've noticed that. Well, the main street is really a strip that runs right along uh, the north shore of Lake Ontario. Wellington is a wonderful working village. It's a village, not a town. We have a two-block stretch right in the middle, which has the intersection of Wharf Streets and Main Streets as its center, where most of the village activity takes place. Everything's here. We have doctors, we have dentists, we have drugstores, liquor store, food store, hardware stores. We got everything that's here to live here. Where we lived, I grew up between a, a drugstore and a grocery store. And uh, so we were right on the edge of all the businesses down street. And in those days, there were several grocery stores, I would think at least five or six in Wellington. Well, we had five gas stations. At one time, Wellington had a couple of doctors. There were two hardware stores. We had a drugstore with a soda fountain. 
all within the distance that you might shop there. There's so much history here. The earliest settler from 1700s built their house here. Earliest member? Coming down and buying candy at the Stedman store that used to be in that side of the building. When we were in our teens, we had Teen Town, and it was really well attended. And they sold broken chocolate bars by the pound. And the little old lady uh, would dip them out and put them in a bag, and you could take them home and eat them, but don't tell your mother. Well, then I was happened to be down right where the Pomodoro is it? There was a barbershop and pool hall in there. I went in to get a haircut. This guy was half Sloan, the barber. Teen Town was a group they got going for the young people because it was obvious we didn't have much to do. I just happened to be walking by when the sheep got loose in front of the abattoir. And there was a guy in the chair and he said, uh, oh, he says, uh, I don't feel like cutting the other half or something. Come back tomorrow, I'll finish it. <laughs> uh, so uh, that was my first impression of his barbershop. So they opened the school on Saturday nights and we could dance and they had a canteen downstairs and table games and things for us to play. Now mind you, it probably went from seven till nine. Whoa. These two girls were chasing it down the street and then eventually it crossed the main street and went down the lake, jumped in the lake and it was, it was heading right across the lake when they when they rounded it up. They'd spend all Saturday afternoon getting ready to go to Teen Town. And they felt so bad about the sheep that they took it home instead of back to the abattoir <laughs> when it was all over. <laughs> My grandfather, John Wallace, moved to Wellington in 1931, and he uh, purchased the store that was there before and continued operating Wallace's department store from 1931 until he died in 1936. There's a dip in the main street there, and there's a creek that runs underneath the buildings that is presently driving everybody crazy. In 1936, they had this flood. The, the little creek backed up, and the water came and it spurted up through the floorboards of the store and they had no, uh, no basement. So my grandfather had to keep moving his merchandise up higher and higher on shelves. The water rose in the main street of Wellington to about three feet. In fact, the local constable got a rowboat and traveled around checking things out in that area. This particular creek continues to cause trouble in Wellington today, so much so that a couple of weeks ago, a town hall meeting was called to discuss the contentious issue. The message was clear. People are willing to fight for what they believe in when it comes to preserving their main street. Right now, there's a big to-do about tearing down a couple of buildings down the street. Yeah, the convenience store. Well, it is a contentious issue right now. It's 115 years old. The original building is still there. It was built above uh, a creek which uh, runs, cuts right across the county and empties into the lake. Well, right now it's pretty sad. So it's been standing there for 115 years, but recently the county has undertaken the, the project to fix the culvert under the building. Word got out that the council and engineering department were thinking about just putting a parking lot there. Ever since then, I've been on this campaign to try and find a way to save that building because it's, it's the core of our village and typical of the architecture in the village. I hope they will leave them there. If they don't, 
uh, there will be a hole there, and they'll have to fill it with something, I hope. Otherwise, you'll drive through Wellington and get a lovely view of our slaughterhouse. And so we're doing our best to uh, convince the county that they cannot turn it into a parking lot. You know, echoes of Joni Mitchell there. Um, they can't do that. And we want the building to be either saved or replaced with something which is architecturally harmonious and respecting of our little heritage. Oh, when I moved here, I'm a bit of a history buff, so I remember buildings that were here. The old, old, old drugstore that was on the, the corner has since been demolished and put a foodland. Wellington Grill was across the street. Wellington Grill is where uh, Pomodoro is. They were in business for years and years and years with a succession of different owners. There was such a uproar when that Wellington Grill left because it was for all of the old folks would go there and hang out and that you, you were known. It was the place to go. There weren't that many restaurants in Wellington at that time. Uh, we had possibly two restaurants and now we have the whole place is restaurants. Wellington kind of, it sort of died before it progressed again. I remember it as being a very, very close-knit community. Everybody worked together. It didn't have the presence that it does now. It was quite of a sleepy, sleepy little town. You know, nobody really knew about Wellington. A generation ago, there wasn't really much going on in, in Prince Edward County. There, you know, there was no reason for kids to stay when they graduated from school. They, they went away to get jobs and stuff. Um, that's all changed. The wineries and, the, you know, all this sort of thing that's gone on, the Drake Hotel, it's brought a lot of new people to town. Also, we have two other nice restaurants in the village. Um, uh, Easton, Maine, and Pomodoro. I've seen the town blossom. We're seeing a lot of new faces with the development in Wellington now, but uh, but but people are getting more and more familiar, and uh, you know, big influx of, of day trippers sort of thing coming through. But uh, we see a lot of the same faces over and over. It's it's nice. We get to know people. It's a thriving community, really. Time to wave goodbye to Wellington, and continue along Highway 33 into beautiful downtown Bloomfield. This village was a farming village. And the farmers around all grew crops uh, for the canning factories, corn and peas and tomatoes and pumpkins and all that sort of thing. We had a lot, a lot of canning factories here. When I was growing up, there were five, four or five canning factories. Baxter's. Baxter's being the big one. And the women worked in the summer helping in the canning factory. I had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I was weighing tomatoes. Three o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. The young people, they go out and they pick the berries, and then at night you go into the factory and you sort the berries. And These truckloads of tomatoes, they had to weigh them. I worked in the fields picking tomatoes. I worked in the canning industry peeling tomatoes. It was like hard. It was a hard job. Well, for most people in the village, when you went shopping, you went to a store in Bloomfield, but you could get most everything in Bloomfield. We had Moore's Grocery. We had DeMille's Meat Store. Uh, we had Otto's Drug Store. Back when I was a teenager, well, there was Bob Otto's Drug Store, uh, which was my second favorite place to be. He had a comic book rack in there, and I was a comic book collector. For some reason, the entire place smelled like hair cream, because <laughs> I remember that as a, as a kid. And as soon as I walked in through the door, I'd go, ah, comic books. <laughs> and uh, But he would let me sit cross-legged on the floor and just read comic books for hours. Never said a word, never threw me out, never asked me what I was doing. My earliest memory is probably going to Moore's Grocery Store. Yes, Adam Moore had to 
the grocery store there. Yeah, I love Moore's Grocery. Very busy place on Saturdays. Art Moore ran it when I was a kid, and later his son Jack Moore ran it. Uh, they were both really great people. Yeah, I remember when we got married, it was in 1959. We came back from our honeymoon, we went around to Lake Ontario, and then we came back, we uh, stopped to get some groceries to get started, and so we had quite a bit, you know, quite a bit what we needed, you know, with big baskets full, and so we got to the checkout, and she was all paid for, a gift from Art Moore, so a wedding present. <laughs> of course, now they're all gone. All the, the um, factories closed because of free trade. Free trade basically killed most of the canning industry here. Yep, that's when everything kind of went downhill. Once the canning factory started to close in the 70s, that was sort of took the heart out of the village because there was no place for people really to work in Bloomfield. A lot of the people retired that were working there at that time. It was actually very quiet for a while. The stores just closed, so for about, I'm gonna say 15 to 20 years in the 70s up to maybe the mid 90s, all those stores, all those buildings were just, just sat there empty that are there now in the downtown. So driving through Bloomfield was like desolation, really. I remember when I was a kid, there was nothing going on in Bloomfield in the 1980s. It was, you know, quite dead. A lot of the buildings were vacant. There's a woman that lived where Lois Landing is now, Honey King. She's still around. She um, organized the first sort of uh, destination, Bloomfield as a destination. And I can remember the first special store because people started to uh, snatch up the old stores uh, for special businesses. So they started something called Breakaway. And, and at that time in Prince Edward County, there was nothing going on. Hundreds of people showed up. Um, and it sort of morphed into different things now. And, and of course, other festivals have taken the place. But that was the first thing, I think, that sort of put Bloomfield on the map. It's just very exciting to see what's happened because it's changed completely to be tourist. Well, everybody says it's gone upscale. What makes it special? My parents bought what was known as a coach house motel in the late 80s, around 88, 89. My father, Willie Fida, was a chef and he was uh, known for his French fine dining. And my mother was front of house and they opened what was called Angeline's Restaurant. It was one of the first fine dining restaurants in the area. That was the nice thing about Bloomfield, that the people that have come in have made uh, Bloomfield a viable community again. Bloomfield may be bustling with boutiques, but if you want groceries and essentials, you need to head up the road into Picton. I remember it was a very active main street. There were three grocery stores. All of them had produce out in front. I was probably three or four, and my mother pushing me downtown in a carriage. I remember the merchants hosing down their sidewalks, cranking up their awnings, <laughs> sweeping the walks to start the day. And my grandfather would give me a quarter when I go to town. I could get a lot of things with that quarter. There was Henley's Shoe Repair, where you could smell the leather when he had the door open in the summer months, and there were all of the new bicycles in racks outside. There were a lot of department stores. Biggest thing I remember is back then we had Eaton's. And we also had Lipson's and Mason's department stores and Fraser's. I remember when it was still a department store at the location of the county fitness center. I was probably five or six years old and my dad would come into town to buy farm machinery. The building that now has the bean counter and its condos, but when my 
when I was a boy, it was a master feeds station. And I was so bored. I would be so bored. And he was, you know, looking at farm machinery, which isn't terribly interesting. But when he finished, he would take me across the street to the bowling alley, and we would sit up on stools, and he would say, now what would you like to have? My father used to go downtown every Saturday morning to pay our bills and get gas. He'd take me with him, and we always finished it in rigs where he would get me a, a Sunday at the soda fountain and a comic book. But I was five, so I really didn't have a very good grasp on menu items. The only thing I knew to order was cream soda. I didn't like cream soda, but I ordered it anyway. And that's my earliest memory of Picton. And I was downtown with my mom one time, and I was a very stubborn child, and somehow ended up behind her, and she went home without me, <laughs> without knowing it. And I went into Enrique's drugstore, and I remember this really well. And that was back in the days when the drugstores had the um, ice cream Thing where you could sit. And I sat down there and I remember watching this man eat a chocolate sundae and I wanted the lady to give me one and she wouldn't. She called my mom and said, uh, have you lost a child? <laughs> yeah, Enrig's Drugstore, that also made an impression on me when I was a little one. Uh, and it's where Coach's Restaurant is now. And it had a soda bar in it too, a lunch bar. And uh, the, they made excellent salmon sandwiches, only when I was a little girl, I called them uh, sandwiches. Um, I always went in and had to have a salmon sandwich. Oh, the best memories were when we would come downtown after school, and we would go to the Guilt restaurant and have tea and cookies. And that was heaven. My earliest memories, I guess that would have to go back to the pool halls. What's now um, coaches was the pool hall. And there's a, a barber chair in the front and six or seven pool tables in a row going back and it's in a back door you could come in. Bailey's, that's what it is, yeah. It was a pool hall, a little arcade out front. You used to be able to buy cigarettes and, and candy and kind of junk food and stuff in there. A lot of the old guys sat in there and played pool like all day. Well, the environment, it was, uh, it was loud. Uh, there were older gentlemen in there telling stories. There were farmers in there, you know, taking their breaks and stuff like that. It was a smoke filled atmosphere that's for sure and uh, and just the sound of the balls cracking and snapping and pool cues slamming on the floor and the tips flying off you know and uh, the sounds of the owner hollering at somebody to be careful you know and stuff like that so uh, those are the sounds and the images I remember. Well that was the cool thing you know you just stand up on the sidewalk and watch the girls go by you know, smoke cigarettes. <laughs> The Main Street of Picton had a lot of bars. Back in the 50s, a lot of drinking went on in this county, and, and Friday night and Saturday night was a very active time. There was the Royal Hotel. I remember the very first time I tried to get into the Royal Hotel, and I took my cousin's uh, identification or birth certificate. You know, I hate to admit that I was in there often, perhaps underage. So the Royal, I spent my youth and my 20s and 30s going to the Royal as well. I remember there kind of being sawdust on the floor or something. I'd go in, I remember with Christine, and there would be, we'd play pool, and we'd put money in the jukebox, and then the band would play, and there would be, I like guess, a 75-year-old grandma wearing her granddaughter's prom dress and dancing, and, and then there would be, and then also playing pool would be, we used to have this um, 
uh, dwarf basketball team in town, and it was all little people, and then they had one really large guy who was like extra tall in their team, and they were called the Canadian Half Pints. And they would be there drinking and playing pool, and it would be something like from David Lynch. Well, the Royal Hotel closed, what, 10 years ago, but that was kind of a living room for a lot of people in town, you know? People from all across the county had a story about this place, the jewel in Picton's crown, the Regent Theatre. When it first opened, it was the biggest theatre between Toronto and Montreal. Oh, God, yeah. We never missed the show. Saturday, that was your big deal. I worked there and used to clean up the popcorn off the seats and probably had a couple of my first dates there. <laughs> the very first show that I saw in the Regent Theatre was Tony Curtis in Trapeze, I think it was called. I remember seeing Ben-Hur there. We went and saw E.T. there. It was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs that were playing. The first movie was The Fox and the Hound that I went with my mom, my sister, brother, and some cousins. So I remember seeing the lady in a tramp there when I was a little kid. There were lots of Saturday matinees, and I was just a wee little thing. And my mother, while she was shopping, she deposited me at the Regent. I go back to the days when uh, Miss Cook uh, was the owner. Yeah, we, Louise Cook would be behind the, uh, the ticket booth there, and we'd go in for matinees. And Louise took me in and sat me down. I was quite terrified of the whole situation. The theater was, was massive then. She was a character. She was a little bit scary when you're a kid, so you always minded your P's and Q's. And she was very stern and very protective of her uh, Regent Theater. We were standing in line. There was a bunch of us uh, kids you know, waiting to get a, a, a treat or a pop and stuff like that. And the kids were making her order, and she was kind of doing her the, the way that she was, you know. And, and I got up to the front, and, and I asked for, you know, a bottle of pop and a bag of popcorn, and I said, please and thank you. And, and she scared me because she turned around. She said, excuse me, what did you just say? And so I repeated what I said along with the please and thank you, and she said, you don't have to pay for yours. We finally just saw a kid that has some manners. And I was just, I was flabbergasted. I turned around and looked, and, and I kept looking back at her, and I was thinking, well, she's not as mean as, as she lets on. There was no monkey business in her theater. Louise was very uh, thin, tall. She never married. She was a tall, very slender lady with short, dark hair, and she smoked little Tipperillo cigarettes. I knew Louise very well. Yes, I can remember Louise quite well. If anybody's told you about Louise, she smoked incessantly, and uh, she also liked her scotch. The best recollection I might have was seeing her one day at the LCBO, where she was re remarking on a, a cold, dreary February day, and she said, thank God for the liquor store. She said, I'm not sure I could get through another day without it. She was a character, all right. Can't take her, old bitch. She was a very nice lady, actually. She used to stand in front of the theater quite often on weekdays. She had an apartment up here above the front, in the front. And uh, I only seen it once, but I'll tell you, there was no expenses spared for furnishings in that apartment. It was, it was nice. Like her father, she was keenly interested in the theater. She loved it. It was very much a family business. Her sisters had moved away and married, and she'd stayed single, so she stayed with her folks until they passed away. And uh, that was her, uh, oh yeah, that was really her castle, you know, her place. And it's a wonderful thing that that building's still operating today. I still remember the evening. I mean, the theater had been reopened for a while, but they had restored the marquee. And there was one evening when the marquee was lit again for the first time, and there were hundreds of people on the street to see that. 
And it was just such this great feeling of, okay, I can remember thinking, this town's gonna be okay, that theater's reopened, everything's gonna work out, <laughs> and it has more or less. <laughs> it's been extraordinary, it's like uh, Phoenix rising from the ashes. People are starting to open up to the idea that Prince Edward County is gonna be a tourism hub, and Picton's gonna be a tourism hub of Prince Edward County. It's just, it's our major city, and, and we're rolling out the red carpet for the world. Everybody in the community treasures the gem that we have. I feel really proud to be a part of this community. It's going to continue to blossom and improve, and it's going to change. You know, for, for county natives like myself, that, that change on the whole is good, although it does, it does change some of our traditions and some of our history. I feel incredibly humbled when I feel welcomed by the local community, and I've worked really hard to try to be a part of that community because that's really what, what this area is about. And the reason why I think a lot of people fall in love with it is because of the people. We, in our own time, have to come to grips with, with, with that change. And, you know, we will, we all will, but that doesn't mean we won't sort of grumble about how good the old days used to be. And, uh, and that's a county tradition too. Thanks for tuning in. To hear more tales and find out when the Storymobile is coming to your town, visit www.thetaleofatown.com. Special thanks to the festival players of Prince Edward County, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Ontario Trillium Foundation for their generous support of our project. And to everyone in Prince Edward County who supported our performance installation and took the time to share their stories. You can find a complete list on our website. The Tale of a Town is created and produced by Fixpoint and developed in collaboration with the National Arts Centre to capture the collective community memory of Canada's main streets. One story at a time. This episode was produced by me, Alison Broverman, and created in collaboration with the artistic team, including Krista Dalby and Katie Swift, with original music by Jake Nichol. Thanks for listening.